Oral questions by members? Member for Prince George Wilmot. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, small businesses in British Columbia are literally caught in the crossfire of the brutal violence and random attacks enabled by the soft-on-crime Premier's catch-and-release system. Sandeep Alexander, for example, owner of the Festal Cafe, has faced relentless vandalism, theft, and even threats to his staff. He says, and I quote, Almost every other day, we have people walking in, threatening our staff, taking money, iPads being stolen, and multiple encounters of vandalism." End quote. He is now being forced to close his cafe on Granville Street because of the random violence and chaos impacting his business. This, isn't, this is happening all across the province, in every single community. How many businesses must close due to rampant crime and vandalism? And when will the soft-on-crime premier step up and provide some financial support for businesses that are barely hanging on due to his failed catch-and-release policies? Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker, and I appreciate the question from the member. And all of us share the concerns around the issues that uh, the opposition has raised and that uh, we hear about. Uh, but I want to make it clear. Um, everyone deserves to feel safe in their communities. That's why we've taken the initiatives and the actions that we have done in terms of increasing resources that uh, police have asked for to be able to deal with the situation that they're facing, that the men and women who do an incredible job in terms of law enforcement in our communities right across this province uh, putting in place the, the tools that they have required whether it's ensuring that we get changes done in terms of the criminal code, whether it's ensuring that we get changes in terms of the way in which calls are dealt with through the uh, expansion of car programs to deal with mental health uh, calls, the peer-assisted care teams, which we piloted on the North Shore and New Westminster and have proved to be extremely successful and are going to go out uh, across the province. Uh, specialized teams of police, uh, prosecutors, uh, and, uh, and uh, uh, probation officers and correction officials to be able to deal with people that police have identified before they get to the justice system or after they get to the justice system. All initiatives that police have requested to, uh, to be able to, that they can do the job that they need to do, Honourable Speaker. We take this very seriously. Uh, other initiatives Today's legislation that has been tabled, part and part of, the, of, of that work, Honourable Speaker. We've done a lot, there's more to do, and we will continue to do it. Member for Prince George Bailmore, supplemental. Well, thank you to the Minister for that response, and I would ask him to take just a moment and stop and reflect on how absolutely terrifying it would be to be working in a dollar store or a convenience store or a cafe and have someone who is armed walk in and either threaten or actually physically assault that person. It is terrifying, and it is happening everywhere, and it is because we have a soft-on-crime premier who has a catch-and-release policy in place. Let's hear from John Neat, who runs JJ Bean Coffee, because he's speaking up as well. Here's what he had to say. You go down Columbia Street and Hastings, and people are shooting up right in front of you. Don't even care. It's happening everywhere, in every alley, every door, every storefront. And crime is worse than it has ever been. Not my words, the words of John Neat. 
Desperate businesses are begging for support to help mitigate the devastating impacts of, of vandalism and property crime. And yet, the Premier and again today this Minister simply ignore their pleas for help. So how many more people need to be hurt and how many more businesses? The question is about mitigation to support businesses in British Columbia. How many more of them need to close before this random violence and vandalism stops? Minister. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. And again, I appreciate the question uh, from the member. But I want to make it clear that since taking office, our Premier, our Attorney General, have been anything other than soft on crime, have brought in initiative after initiative after initiative to deal with the challenges that communities are facing across this province. And I know, Honourable Speaker, the Opposition wants to dismiss initiatives such as $230 million for RCMP uh, in small and rural communities that will help ensure that enforcement takes place in those communities that she's talking about. The Opposition wants to ignore the initiatives in terms of mental health supports, in terms of housing supports, that those with mental health who, commit, who are committing some of the challenges or committing some of the crimes that we've seen in, in communities across this province that she talks about, that they get the help and are off the streets. They can try and dismiss the fact the expansion of the car programs, which is something that they called for, Honourable Speaker, which was put in place where action was taken by this government. And you called for it to be expanded, and that's exactly what we've done, Honourable Speaker. Those are actions and initiatives. New initiatives, such as the peer-assisted care teams, which have been piloted, seem to be a success, and now we want to take it out across the province. Unlike the last time when you <coughs> sat on this side of the House and there was an effective pilot program, a repeat offender management program, you cancelled it, Honourable Speaker. So, so, Honourable Speaker, so, Honourable Speaker, we understand the challenges that businesses and communities are facing. We work with the professionals who are doing the work, the men and women in our police forces, the men and women in our social service agencies, and our healthcare workers, and we will continue to take the steps that we need to to make sure our communities are safe. Member for Vancouver Langara. Well, let's be clear, Mr. Speaker. The initiatives after initiatives after initiatives over the past six years for this Premier are not working. The Premier's catch and release system is failing. Violent, random attacks have never been worse in British Columbia than they are right now under this soft-on-crime premier. Serious assaults involving weapons or bodily harm in Vancouver are up over 30 percent compared to the 2017 to 2019 average. Yesterday, the VPD announced that despite arresting over 200 people with 4,700 previous convictions combined, Many were on the streets, right back out on the streets on the same day, the very same day. Small business owners in Vancouver, including in Yaletown, West End, Gastown, Chinatown, and downtown Vancouver, simply can't handle the unchecked violence that has skyrocketed under the soft-on-crime Premier's catch-and-release justice system. Joanne Zarif 
runs Zatar Uzit, which is mere steps from where Sunday's deadly random stabbing took place. She shares similar experiences as other Vancouver businesses, with her employees feeling scared to come to work due to the theft and violent confrontations. Quote, she says, we don't feel safe anymore. Can the soft on crime creamer tell small business owners like Joanne when she and her employees will feel safe again? Mr. Pup, sorry, Attorney General. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And I want to thank the member for raising this very important issue. Everyone deserves to feel safe in their communities. And when we hear about the violence in our streets, we know we have to take action. And that's exactly why we're taking the actions that we're taking, Mr. Speaker. It's exactly why we went to Ottawa to ask for changes to the criminal code, specifically around repeat violent offenders. So we had better tools in our justice system to keep them off our streets. It's exactly why we're not, we're not waiting just for Ottawa to make those changes. We're investing in the programs that we need in BC that we know have been effective um, in the past, like the repeat offenders teams that are going to circle around these repeat offenders and, and make sure that there's a plan in place to keep, them, keep our community safe and them off the streets. Mr. Speaker, we're taking the actions, investing in the programs that we know have worked in the past because we believe everybody deserves to feel safe in our communities and we'll keep doing that work. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Member for Vancouver, Langara Supplemental. Well, Mr. Speaker, uh, we used to have a society here in British Columbia which was based on the rule of law. But now it seems we just have a state of lawlessness. All under this soft on crime. Premier's watch. This is what BC has become. Where people don't feel safe. Let's hear the, the question, please. Let's hear live. the question. Let's hear the question. Please continue. Member will continue. Well, I don't know uh, what the member opposite was referring to, but I know that every member here in this house, with our daughters like mine who work in downtown Vancouver, blocks away from where that deadly stabbing occurred on Sunday, young people who go to work every day in downtown Vancouver, her co-workers, her friends, who don't feel safe. And I know each member in this house recognizes what it means when your children or your spouse or your, your parent is walking in the neighborhoods where they don't feel safe anymore. And that's what it feels like. We can, we can here in this chamber talk all about initiatives, but it's not working. It's not working. People don't feel safe on the streets where they live and where they go to work. No neighborhood has been more devastated by the Premier's fail, catch, and release policies than Chinatown. Thefts, vandalism, and social chaos on our streets spills into Chinatown on a daily basis. 20% of well-established legacy businesses that have been part of the community for generations have permanently closed just in the past five years under this NDP government. Next month, Kent's Kitchen will join the growing list of closures, including Goldstone Bakery on Kiefer Street and Mitzi's on Pender Street. How many businesses will close before this soft on crime premier ends his catch and release system and supports small businesses being decimated 
with the costs of random violence and vandalism. Attorney General. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Everyone deserves to feel safe in their communities. Women walking down the street, um, people in their businesses, and we know, and we, I want to send a message to all those businesses and those people that are feeling unsafe that their government is taking the actions necessary to make the situation better. Um, this is an issue that I know we joined ministers across this country um, to sit down with the federal government to talk about what we're all experiencing in cities across this country, which is an increase in violence. In Ontario, they talked about gun violence. In Manitoba, it was bear spray. Um, and here we talked about our issues. And we called upon the federal government to make the changes necessary to the bail policy. So we had better tools in our system um, for repeat violent offenders. I'm pleased that we have a commitment that they said they would make those changes this spring and we'll be watching to make sure that they happen. And in the meantime, we'll continue to invest in the programs and work with our communities to make the situation better. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. House Leader of Third Party. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Speaker. The uh, Montney play in northeastern British Columbia is the largest potential greenhouse uh, gas emission source uh, in Canada and uh, the sixth largest in the world. While the government's uh, rhetoric promotes uh, LNG as clean, we can't escape reality. Exploiting these fossil fuels is contributing to catastrophic climate change, Mr. Speaker. By approving new LNG projects, the BC NDP is locking uh, our province into uh, a fossil fuel economy for decades. The impacts of these choices will be far-reaching, including the upstream emissions increased uh, by fracking. Fracking emits large amounts of methane, which is 85 times more potent than carbon dioxide. Fracking is water-intensive, causes earthquakes, poisons groundwater, and is linked to rare cancers and serious health problems. My question is to the Minister of Energy, Mines and Low-Carbon Innovation, how many more fracked gas wells are needed to feed the climate monster created by this BC NDP's LNG economy? Minister of Environment. Thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. And as I've uh, explained previously uh, in this House, uh, as well as uh, publicly, we released uh, a little more than two weeks ago our new energy action framework. The purpose of the framework is to create a context in which British Columbians can be assured that we will be on track to meet our legislated emission reduction targets as part of our Clean BC plan and to meet our oil and gas sectoral target by working with industry and Indigenous nations to put in place a regulatory cap on emissions from the oil and gas sector. There are a variety of means that will be used to meet that cap. There are other uh, factors in play with respect to the Montney, the recent agreement with the Blueberry River uh, First Nation to limit disturbance, all of which is going to lead to concentrated work by industry, uh, by government, by First Nations to ensure that we are on track to meet our targets while we also focus on building a strong economy that will include clean energy opportunities in different places in British Columbia, that will benefit Indigenous nations, that will benefit our workers, including our building trades guests here today, and that will position British Columbia 
very, very well for the clean energy economy that we are all transitioning to around the globe. Third party house leader supplemental. Well, uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. And the minister knows that the uh, Energy Action Framework doesn't do anything uh, for the increased uh, threat of earthquakes, the increased uh, uh, poisoned groundwater, the increased uh, poisonous and toxic uh, tailings, ponds. And so that, that is really the future of the Northeast uh, in our province. Remember last fall when the Premier said that new fossil fuel infrastructure is not compatible with meeting our climate targets? For decades, this BC NDP government has promised to be one thing, and then they've showed British Columbians that they are another. On one hand, approving more LNG and more fracking, and on the other hand, creating a framework to reduce emissions that we just heard about from the minister. There was no LNG industry in this province until this BC NDP government created and subsidized it. And the best way to deal with emissions, as we all know, Mr. Speaker, is to not create them in the first place. New poll shows that British Columbians overwhelmingly prefer government to focus on developing renewable energy over LNG. Instead, the BC NDP has chosen more methane emissions, more fracked gas wells, more polluted water, more poisonous tailings ponds, more pipelines, more RCMP rates. My question is to the Minister of Energy, Mines and Low Carbon Innovation, when will fracking end in this province? Minister of Environment and Climate Change Strategy. Thank you very much, uh, Honourable Speaker. I think what the, uh, the member opposite uh, is trying to, uh, to do is take his focus, a justifiable focus, on meeting our climate targets and reducing emissions and uh, making it a completely uh, binary choice, like there's a light switch we can flick today and move to a new energy reality. It is a transition. We are engaging in that, tra in that transition. We are doing it uh, through a number of mechanisms. That included the announcements from a little over two weeks ago. The new energy action framework is a way to meet both our climate commitments and build a healthy, clean energy economy that is growing around the world and that we want to be on the leading edge of. Let me simply close by quoting uh, the professor at the School of Earth and Ocean Sciences at the University of Victoria, Andrew Weaver. BC is leading the way with a new enhanced energy framework, a bold plan that will drive down emissions and build new opportunities in the clean economy sector. This framework will accelerate the province's climate commitments while also supporting new opportunities in clean energy and technology, setting up the success of future generations who will benefit off today's investments in clean energy projects in BC. Member for Nechako Lakes. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker, and uh, to the Minister of Health. Could the Minister please explain the rationale for encouraging people in BC to get the third shot in the uh, fight against COVID-19? Minister of Health. To save their health, to save their lives, to take care of their loved ones, to take care of one another, to help us deal with a global pandemic that's affected every one of our lives, Honourable Speaker. It is true 
that there are, at present, more than a million people who haven't taken their bivalent shot. I encourage them. There are appointments available today, and I encourage them to do so. I think, Honourable Speaker, as we look around the world, we can express our gratitude to the doctors and nurses and naturopaths and dental hygienists who delivered our vaccine program in British Columbia. It saved, Honourable Speaker, conservatively, hundreds of thousands of lives and allowed us to do things that were important, like our children going to school here. It allowed us to come together as a community to help one another in one of the most difficult periods in healthcare and in our community that we have ever seen, one that was unexpected and one that we responded to collectively. And I mean everybody in an extraordinary way. The reason we get vaccinated is to love one another and to express that love by taking actions to protect ourselves and to protect our loved ones. I'm very proud of the vaccine campaign, and I encourage everyone who hasn't got their first shot to get their first shot, who hasn't got their second shot to get their second shot, who hasn't got their third shot to get their third shot, to get their bivalent vaccine today. Member from the Chocolate Supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and I thank the Minister uh, for that response. I want to start with a quote from the Federal Minister of Health who stated on June 30th, the year 2022, and I quote, the immunity conferred by the primary series of vaccine administered in 2021 has now waned, end quote. It has now been almost two years since the original series of COVID vaccine shots were administered to healthcare workers in BC. From my discussion with nurses, Approximately 75% of the nurses in the north and 60% provincially have not received a third booster shot. According to the federal minister, this means those nurses are essentially the equivalent of unvaccinated healthcare workers. BC is facing a healthcare crisis. Nurses are being burnt out working far too many overtime shifts. Hospitals are providing minimal <coughs> nursing coverage. Emergency rooms are continuously on diversion. Healthcare workers are extremely frustrated, and most importantly, patients are suffering. When will this minister stop playing politics and hire back the healthcare workers that have left the system due to their choice to not receive the COVID-19 vaccine? Minister of Health. Uh, thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. As always, Honourable Speaker, uh, in, the, in, in responding to the COVID-19 pandemic, we rely on the science. And on issues of vaccination, we rely on public health. The order in question is a provincial health order. It's one that I support, but it's a provincial health order. 99% plus of BC health care workers got vaccinated, Honourable Speaker. And the reason they did is because they know and they care about their patients and their health. And they made that determination. I have respect for everybody. I know decisions are difficult to make, Honourable Speaker, and have been difficult to make for people who did, Honourable Speaker, lose their positions. And I respect everyone and the difficult choices they make. But the ones I make, Honourable Speaker, ones Dr. Henry make, the one that are, we're making in British Columbia, is to give priority to people who come to our acute care hospital dealing with cancer and heart disease and diabetes, the people who live 
in our long-term care homes, where they're their homes, who are unbelievably vulnerable today, yesterday, and before to the COVID-19 pandemic, to give their health priority. And that's why we have taken difficult steps together as a community to protect the health of everyone, and we are going to continue to do so. Member for West Vancouver-Capilano. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Every day we see the terrible consequence of people with severe mental health and addiction issues not receiving the help that they desperately need. The Riverview lands have long been recognized as a potential site for healing. The fact the Premier, or a fact the Premier himself admitted in 2021, saying, quote, it has the potential to touch many more lives through delivery of more mental services, mental health services, end quote. Yet, two years have now passed and BC Housing has now shockingly confirmed that there are zero plans to realize that potential. In fact, without any public notice, it, uh, work on Riverview abruptly stopped in January and there isn't even a timeline for resuming work. Riverview is stalled. BC Housing is a complete disaster. Given the terrible costs of this failure, why has the Premier accomplished uh, absolutely nothing in two years to address the mental health and addiction crisis by using the lands at Riverview? Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. <clears throat> there are um, so many things in that statement that are factually incorrect, Honourable Speaker. I don't know where to start. But I will say this, um, Honourable Speaker, uh, it's what is understood is that when the previous government shut down Riverview, that there were not enough supports built in communities to support people that needed it. That, Honourable Speaker, is a fact. Honourable Speaker, we are right now in discussions with Coquitlam Nation. Uh, it's what's, what's vitally important in those negotiations is that we don't go in there and say, here's our plan, come on to our plan. What's vitally important part of those discussions is saying, let's sit down to the table and build those plans together. And so uh, the interview perhaps the member is talking about, uh, I had made that clear to the member, uh, to the reporter as well, that we are in conversations with, uh, with the Coquitlam Nation. We're conversations with them about what the future of that site can look like. They are in an election right now. That's why there's a pause, because we want to let their election process happen. Once the election process is over, we will continue that conversation. Member for North, North Kamloops, North Thompson. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, what is clear is BC Housing is in complete disarray, and they seem to go out of their way to have a lot of secrecy around their operations. In fact, we have a forensic audit that's now been sitting for upwards of three weeks on the government books. The Premier has the power to release the forensic audit immediately, as the Freedom of Information Act makes it very clear under Section 25 he has that power. Will the Premier commit to releasing that forensic audit of BC Housing today and make it available for scrutiny at public accounts? Minister of Housing. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. And uh, the Premier earlier this week uh, made it clear, I certainly have made it clear, that um, our intention is to have that report released with as little redaction as legally possible. 
Uh, I have read the report. I believe it's in the public interest. Uh, right now, we are following the process that needs to be frost, pro, uh, followed, which is notifying any entities that uh, may be named to give them the right to uh, be able to uh, see the contents uh, where they're named. Uh, once that is done, once the process is done, uh, complete, we will be releasing this report to the public so the public can see uh, what the findings were. Member for Abbotsford West. Thanks, Honourable Chair. What, uh what we have and what the government seems uh, to refuse to want to uh, acknowledge is an absolute mess out there. We've got a growing state of lawlessness. We've got people who are terrified to go out in the streets in their own community. We've got businesses that are being forced to close because of the escalating rate of violent crime uh, where they operate. What we, uh, what we also know is that when it comes to releasing reports and information that accurately reflect the negative results of the Premier's failed policies. He has a marked preference for finding times when he thinks the least number of people might be paying attention. So let me ask this. The Minister insists that uh, the report's coming. Well, which holiday long weekend is he going to release it on? Is he going to hide it in the Easter Bunny's basket? Is it, uh, maybe he'll drop it on the weekend, everyone's heading off to the campground on Victoria Day. Or maybe the government hopes that, maybe the government hopes that the, the noise from the Canada Day parades will drown out the criticism that undoubtedly exists within that forensic audit, Mr. Speaker. Or, or who knows, maybe they'll declare a new statutory holiday called Take Out the Garbage Day. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker. Members, members, let's, members, 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 shh, members, please proceed. We actually wouldn't have to ask the question if the minister and the premier would do this, and that's release the audit today unredacted so people could see the impact of these failed policies. When will they release the report? Minister. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. And I'll just say that um, the jokes from the member are not funny. And what else wasn't funny, Honourable Speaker, was when he removed an entire chapter out of an ICBC report, Honourable Speaker. Honourable Speaker, we will take no lessons from that side about releasing reports. They have zero credibility on the topic, Honourable Speaker. Uh, and what I have said, I'll repeat again, which is I've read the report, I believe it's in the public interest. We are following the normal processes that are needed and we will be releasing it. The bell and the question period.